0: Let's
1: take it to the edge Let's get deflected
2: Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of KH Daly Knives, and this is the Knife Perspective, episode number 090. That's right, we are just 10 short episodes away from our momentous 100th episode, and tonight's episode is The Other Joe. How are you doing tonight, Kyle?
1: Pretty good. Not looking forward to, in a little bit, uh, going and getting covered in G10 and micarta dust, so finishing off some of the last of my stock of sanding sticks. And hopefully our guest from uh, here on out will uh, be able to help me with some of that.
2: Yeah. um, Maybe, maybe not because uh, I just got back from shot show and it was a great show. And I may have called him from the airport and just gone ahead and booked up a, a, a little bit of his machine time.
1: Well, luckily he also said that if I need to get my own machine, he would help me out. So.
2: Yeah, and he actually, um, I know of at least two other people that he's helped out, and he's like, hey, look, I got more business than I can do. Mm -hmm. You're not competition to me.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not making making what he's making, so. Yeah. But yeah, the G10 and micarta, I got uh, some more, or uh, I got an an orange piece when I was at Atlas the other day, and uh, some people have been asking for orange sanding sticks, so I'll be making a few of those and then finishing off a bunch of the red green and black and brown canvas that i have so but yeah it smells horrible like when you're when you're grinding up and and cutting that much uh material off just like the whole garage smells like it when you're doing a handle it smells a little bit but it lingers i have to open the garage doors and uh turn the fan on and let it let the whole place air out for a while
2: yeah yeah, I can walk into the house and Beth knows whether or not I've been grinding G10 or my carta. Yeah,
1: G10. I love I love how hard and durable it is, but man, do I hate the smell of it.
2: Man, it's good for testing the seal on your mask, though. Yeah, if you're in the grind room and you can smell G10, you know the the seal on your mask is bad.
1: Yeah, that's why I try to keep my my beard as short as possible. I I literally was
2: about to ask that because I know. Um, In other industries, people have to put like petroleum jelly or something on their beards to get Mm -hmm. a good seal.
1: Yeah, I just do it really short and it seems to be, it's not 100% ideal, but when I used to shave, this is probably too much information for everybody. When I used to shave, I'd get a lot of ingrown uh, hairs and uh, just having it really short keeps that from happening. And uh, I don't have all sorts of ingrown hairs and zits and everything.
2: I uh I am blessed with uh there must be some Native American or uh Asian uh DNA somewhere in my makeup because uh at nearly fifty years old I still can't grow a full beard.
1: <laughs> yeah, mine doesn't grow in it t- it's taken a while to get like uh the sides of the mustache yeah. to the
2: to the beard. Yeah, I I can still skip a couple of days shaving if I need to and it's nobody notices.
1: I stopped shaving in what was that 2005 and since then i've only shaved my face one time yeah so uh
2: just to make sure it was still there
1: so i've always hated my mustache and i shaved my mustache off one day and then i went into work and then my one of my good friends eric Mann, goes dude you look like an amish dude <laughs> <laughs> Like looked in the mirror it's like dang well it I wasn't do. just
2: that it was also the bowl cut
1: <laughs> so then i i shaved the whole the whole thing off the next day and then uh then the morning courtney was looking at me and she goes there's just something different i can't put my face on it or can't put my <laughs> finger on it <laughs> and uh it's like like i shaved my face and she was like that's it I'm like you've never even seen me without a beard except in some pictures when I was like in high school for wrestling, you weren't allowed to have like, you pretty much had to have a pretty good beard before, before the season even started. So you pretty much always had to have it shaved because of the stubble and the, the referees would always like check with the back of their hand to then they would make people shave before matches.
2: You know what the referees wouldn't check the side of your head. So yeah, say you kept a flat top. Okay. And uh, before tournaments and that sort of thing, you got a nice fresh cut. So you had good stubble on the side of your head. And if somebody wanted to tie up with you, you could just start grinding the side of your head into the corner of their eye.
1: Hmm. Um, did um, when you were wrestling, when you were wrestling, did they mandate headgear for matches? Um, yeah.
2: Okay. And you could either wear the halo style or the like the old school 70 earmuff style. Okay. Um, but yeah, if the whole side of your head is, uh, is stubble, especially I wore a halo style, um, you could, uh, you could give somebody a pretty good case of razor burn.
1: Oh, gotcha. How are you doing, Dan? Um, back from shot show. I
2: am. And I was really, I'm really, so first of all, it was phenomenal show. Um, hands down best show of the five years that I've been there. I uh, met some really good people for guests coming up. Ran into a fastener company that has some stuff that is really interesting. It's going to need a, a little tweak to work with uh, the knife industry, but uh, I've got the contact for some of their engineers, and uh, I'm going to have them on. Uh, and also, hopefully, we're going to have some uh, some new-to-the-industry stuff coming out to talk about. Uh, talk to a lot of the laser and etcher companies. Going to have at least two people come on. I want to try and get some different perspective and mm-hmm. look at that six thousand to twenty thousand dollar range. Yeah, because um, the prices are really coming down, and maybe equally as important, the software is getting cheaper and easier to use. Yeah, um,
1: I know a lot of the lasers now are using uh, Lightburn, which is uh, apparently a lot better than the. I think it was EasyCAD was the the one everybody was using before.
2: Um, Not too much new for knives that was really, I mean, there was a lot of new stuff, but uh, I think the only thing really shocking was the, uh, what's it, Riot. I think that's how it's pronounced. Their gravity box cutter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And part of that is it is a workaround for the automatic and uh, gravity blade import band. Okay. Uh, You can make those. Inside the U.S., but you can't import them. And that being a utility knife, that's a little workaround.
1: Hmm.
2: Plus, it's cool.
1: Yeah, the fidget factor is pretty cool.
2: Uh, speaking of that ban, um, had breakfast with Doug Ritter at Knife Rights. I want to have them back on because they, they're they getting aggressive. You know, they've been going after some state laws, trying to change things they are now actively filing suits at the federal level to go after things like the import ba- the federal import ban okay um so they are shifting a little bit from trying to influence politicians to aggressively going after bad laws both at the state and federal level okay
1: yeah, another thing with knife rights, if you guys haven't considered donating a knife for their big raffle or their big fundraiser thing that's going to be coming up, uh, I think it usually always starts a little bit before Blade Show. If you're a maker, strongly consider donating a knife to help with that and help raise some money.
2: I donate uh, at least one knife. And I also, if you're not a maker or you don't think you're ready to donate knives, buy raffle tickets. Yep. Um you know, if nothing else, man, slip them 10, 20 bucks. Everything you can do to help those guys is, is helping yourself.
1: Yeah. I've donated a knife the last couple of years to, to help with that stuff. And before that I was, uh, I was doing the knife maker support level. I forget what, how much it was. And then uh, Doug came by my table and he goes, I really appreciate the, the money but what I'd really appreciate more is a knife that we can show off and get people excited about buying more raffle tickets. So it was like message received, Doug. Thank <laughs> you.
2: Yeah. He is a, he is a legitimately good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people may not know he's got several really successful designs with Hogue. Yep. So he's, he's another example of for us, by us.
1: I got one in my pocket that I carry almost every day. That would but give the, him joy. The big Ritter one. I forget what the number is, but Mark something, 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 something. Yeah. (laughs) That's my Um, only complaint, Doug. I love the knife. So last week I was at Atlas Materials and uh, Jess Hoffman and Matt Strong were there with me. And it was really cool to hang out with them for a little bit. Uh, It was great to see some of the things that they were excited about seeing. Jess Hoffman it was his first time ever being there and Matt Strong had been there a handful of times but yeah ended up getting a bunch more stuff for me um and they're doing some doing some cool stuff over there one of the new products that they got in that um Natasha had posted a picture of but yeah it, uh, it looked good in the photos but it looked even better in person i thought the uh they had this new orange and blue orange and they also have blue um burlap macarta uh, that I thought looked super cool. So it's the uh, heavier weave burlap in there and then um they also had some green or em- I think maybe it was called emerald uh canvas that looked really cool. So I got some pieces of that.
2: You know, I love me some color blue. Yeah.
1: I do too. I also got a big block of the uh white dragon uh juba uh It was a piece that really uh, spoke to me there. It's like three inches tall and uh, five inches thick.
2: (laughs) It finishes out really well.
1: Yeah, I'm getting more into liking to work with it. It drills really nice, too, which is one of the things I like, too.
2: With a black liner and bolster, um, I love that. But also with a natural micarta uh, liner or bolster and liner, it, it pops.
1: Do you still use natural pins with the white or I do Okay,
2: um, a lot of reasons, but um, I haven't, uh, I haven't had any issues with gap or anything like that.
1: Yeah. I was just wondering with the color looking, I usually use black most of the time.
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the natural looked good. Okay. I didn't uh, also, you know, slow the bit down a little bit, use the proper speed, use a brand new bit. Be aware of blowout. I mean, you—if you know you're going to use a white material with a, anything other than a black pen, you got to be really aware of wobble, blowout, uh, drift. Make sure you get a good, clean hole. Yep. Uh, but a good, clean hole really is the the key to success in most issues. I mean, yeah. that's not just a, a, a white handle material thing.
1: And the other news with Atlas is Dan at Atlas. Uh, is now the owner of the atlas material company he uh really purchased it purchased it from the owner and uh, at the beginning of the year they all the paperwork is signed and everything's finalized so he's the the new owner so hey, we know a guy
2: that is a guy
1: yeah he the, the guy yeah so it was funny uh <laughs> he gave us he gave uh matt and jess and me some different uh different new stuff and some, some things they were looking at and they wanted us to try. And uh, Natasha goes, now that he's the big shot, it's like the (laughs) manager special sale. You know, (laughs) he was
2: looking at some other industries to get into. And I had some suggestions and he kind of offhanded. I'll send some material. I'll I'll send some samples. I'm like, man, that's a, that's a big move. I I appreciate it. I I get it now. He's got nobody (laughs) answer to. He can do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's actually talking about uh, doing some stuff with the podcast, too. They're going to be sponsoring us again for the next year, and they want to do some more giveaway stuff. So um, they have lots of uh, he was talking about doing some maker boxes where um, they have like uh, end pieces and stuff like that, that they don't that doesn't really match um, the stuff. So like the Jumas, especially the end pieces, don't quite have as much figuring and stuff. Uh, so he was talking about uh putting together, scooping together a box full of uh stuff like that, like mismatch or and where they a, end up only having like one scale of something that people can make bolsters and stuff out of, and doing some giveaway stuff with that.
2: And that's a great way to learn the material without having to invest too heavily.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would be even better that he's talking about uh yeah, having like people comment on posts and stuff, and then doing a doing a giveaway so.
2: I'm gonna have to, uh, to reach out and congratulate him. Yeah. And also give him a little bit of heck about, uh, not letting me know that he's the man now.
1: Well, he was kind of keeping it on the down low until everything was finally, uh, official.
2: Yeah. I guess you don't want to kill the deal.
1: (laughs) I can't imagine that he would have, but he just wanted to make sure everything was official, official before he was saying stuff.
2: Makes sense. All right. Well, Dan, if you're listening, congratulations. Um, I know I owe you money. I'll, I'll call today to take care of that.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> nice.
2: And then Jant's Knife Supply, you know, they have always been kind of um, the, the gold standard. If you need it, you can find it there, uh, especially for the, the newer guys. It's a great place to find some ones and twos. Uh, you can get some knife kits and kind of all in one. Blade blank handle materials, sheath, put it all together if you want to. Um,
1: yeah, the pow- also- powdered steels and stuff, too.
2: Oh, that's right. I forgot they're car- Well, I mean, they really do carry everything. I mean, I think you can get a kiln there, a uh, marking equipment there. It, it's a one-stop shop. And you can buy larger volume from them if you need to as well. And if you do that, save money with the 10% off all handle material using code k p grip at checkout but just know that uh, for that to work it's got to be only handle material in your shopping cart yep. but it is a chance to save 10% and as we all know especially nowadays that'll add up
1: yeah yeah help curb the inflation a little bit yeah.
2: speaking of saving 10% phoenix abrasives also has a discount code kp10 save 10% off your order um They've got the new Broadback incinerator thirty-six grit belts, and I use some of those, and it is a noticeable difference, especially on uh, some of the particle steels. Um, I've been a... using their their purple belts a lot, although recently got an education, and there's a couple other belts that they have that may be a little more efficient. Alrighty, but what I have noticed is the tracking on their belts, um. I had some of my old Norton belts that weren't quite shot that I was using. Um, I was in a rush and got a couple of other brands of belts. And for those that don't know, what determines the tracking on your belt is generally when they make the splice on the belt, if that's parallel. If it's just a little bit off one way or the other, it doesn't matter how good your machine is. Your tracking is going to be all over the place. Mm -hmm. And their belts have been consistently really well assembled. So the tracking is dead on.
1: Yep. I like them and uh, we'll be seeing them at the badger knife show uh, in March. So if you guys are in the uh, Southern mm-hmm. Wisconsin ish area where the badger show is, they also, you can put your order in and pick up at the show, save you a little bit on shipping.
2: And uh, Ridge runner has gone through a change in management and By the time this podcast airs, they will have reopened for business under the new management. Uh, They are going to a little more curated um, uh, stock. Um, The new owners, things like Spyderco and that sort of thing, the big box stores can get that, and he'll never compete with their pricing. So he is focusing on makers like Kyle and I and some other up-and-coming makers where Maybe you're not as familiar with their work, but it's a chance to get a great bang-to-the-buck ratio. Um, so both makers and uh, buyers, go check out the, uh, the new Ridge Runner Blades.
1: Very cool. Uh, mm. We also have Set Supply, Spencer, Ed, and Todd uh, doing some cool stuff over there. Um, if you haven't listened, uh, to the knife junkie podcast lately, uh, Todd was on there talking a little bit about set supply and, uh, Ed and stuff like that. Talked about some of their, the knives and stuff that they're doing with set supply and his knife making. So, uh, definitely check out set supply. It's set net. and you can keep in touch or the other last sponsors cage daily knives and dogwood custom knives. So. Definitely give those sponsors uh, a look. And you can find Dan and Kyle's knives at Knife Center. And you can find Dan's knives at the Cook Station, Blade HQ, Ridge Runner, and Asheville Crafted Edge. And you can find my knives also at Northside Cutlery. And you can find my uh, sanding sticks at Phoenix Abrasives and my carbide straightening hammer at housemade.us. And you can find my uh, file work books at Jance Knife Supply and uh USA knife maker as well as my website. So
2: I was singing the praises of your uh, carbide hammer to a couple of uh, a couple of companies. We got talking about Magnacut and you know they were asking me if they had had issues and uh when I uh, sang the praises of your um your carbide hammer all of a sudden Magnacut was back on the table. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> yeah. It it really does work really well. Like uh, I'm so glad I found out about or how to use it and work it and stuff. So
2: uh and there's we had an interesting conversation about um there's a couple of different versions out and one of the things I like about yours is it's a a, lo- a larger ball and mm-hmm. the I guess that would be a peen ball peen. But the diameter of the ball um it deflate displaces more surface area for the amount of penetration that you get. So I think it it works better. I tried one of the hammers with a smaller diameter carbide in it. And you've got to go a lot deeper to get the same amount of straightening. And Mm -hmm. then you've got a much deeper, uh, divot in your steel.
1: Yeah. And if you're okay with that texturing and stuff on there, but I know a lot of people want it to look nice and clean. So,
2: yeah, Um, thanks. Yep. And I didn't even get paid for that.
1: (laughs) I'm making a new, uh, a different hammer for Creeley blades. Uh, He wanted me to give a half inch ball a shot. So yeah. doing a 12 ounce hammer with a half inch ball that he's going to, going to try out.
2: You know, maybe this will get edited out, but just, I haven't taken my Adderall. So if I don't tell you now, I might forget. Um, Have you thought about doing some carbide textures? So rather than just being a ball, it's a carbide striking face that can put texture in.
1: Yeah. Uh, you gotta have like um diamond tooling to like texture it. So I didn't I know. It. I haven't found a. I don't have any way to like do consistent um uh, textures. So it'll I, be kind of like doing it by hand. So
2: yeah, I didn't know if back from your your days at the lab or something like that that you you knew companies that could uh, that could cut carbide.
1: Yeah, I wish I did. Uh, I don't don't currently know many companies that cut carbide.
2: All right. So first of all, dibs on the idea. Secondly, (laughs) Hey guys, uh, any of you out there that your day job is something that, uh, could help, uh, cut a textured face into carbide, or, you know, somebody feel free to give us a call. Um, we'll give you a a t-shirt and a sticker and a shout out (laughs) (laughs) and you know, our eternal gratitude.
1: (laughs) Nice. So, uh, Guild Watch and Knife Shows, we got Blade Show Texas coming up in February, uh, 23rd and 24th. Uh, they moved it up a little bit. It was at the beginning of March. Now it's the beginning of February in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Um, I've heard lots of good stuff. Lots of people say that's one of their favorite, uh, Blade Shows. So definitely check it out if you're in the Texas area and we got the Badger Knife Show March 22nd and 23rd uh in Janesville Wisconsin it's right over the Illinois border and uh that's a really really nice show it's like almost like a family show i usually go on Saturdays i've been throwing around the idea of trying to make it to uh, actually have a table at the show but with the the boys and stuff on Friday i have to have to pick them up and stuff and it's hard for me hard for me to be there on Friday and uh, they obviously want all their table holders to be there all three days, so um, we 'll see but what happens to that
2: you 're in that it 's an awesome place to be with with your kids, but you are in that that time frame where they know if you 're not there, um, they are getting into stuff, they need the interaction where you can you can 't really be away and you can 't really take them with you yeah which uh, that was a new set of challenges, and man, did it change the game when I could start taking my boys to shows?
1: yeah um, I think it'll be fun uh the big thing I think if I ever end up taking them to that show, I usually like to stay and have dinner with some of the the people at the end now, yeah and uh they'd be bored as heck,
2: oh yeah, <laughs> Just, like
1: through an iPad or something at them.
2: Um, Some of the best advice I got from my dad about parenting is not setting your kid up to fail, mm. like, your four-year-old is not going to sit quiet and still through an hour and a half dinner. So don't take them to a place where they got to be quiet and still, because you've just put them in a situation where they're, they're not going to succeed. Yeah. Uh,
1: and then when you got the Midwest knife makers guild spring meeting, April 20th in Mankato, Minnesota at the USA knife maker facility. So, um, Definitely uh, check that out if you're in the uh, Minnesota-ish area.
2: That uh, that actually sound, kind of sounds like
1: fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to be at the summer meeting, um, the Hammer in uh, in August. So. Oh
2: yeah, if there's a summer option, I, I I'll be doing the summer option.
1: Well, April isn't too cold up there, but um, the uh, the Hammer in in the summer. I uh, was still trying to figure. They haven't released uh, when school is starting yet. So uh once we get that I'll be able to figure out if I can go or not. Let me know. Yeah. I for I don't know if they've released who the they usually try to bring in somebody, uh, a headliner for that hammer in. Uh two years ago it was Steve Schwartzer. Last year it was Nick Rossi, so it might some be you this people. year. <laughs> I think they would've let me know if it was me. But. <laughs> Uh, it's a I'm surprise. A, I might do a smaller, smaller class like I did two years ago when I went with uh, up there. I talked about file work, um, shout outs, and gear talk. What do you got?
2: Uh, well, I was going to let you go first because you got oh. the the majority of stuff.
1: I've been talking a lot. I didn't know if you wanted to get in there. No, um, no
2: I've, I've been checking my my emails.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got a new book uh for christmas japanese kitchen knives uh for muzu nozaki I, i'm totally butchering that name but um it was a different book than i was kind of thinking it was going to be i thought it was going to talk some more about like all sorts of different uh kitchen knives but uh the way the author did it was pretty cool he uh kind of stuck to 3 of them the yusuba the deba and the yanagiba uh yanagiba I believe
2: um, oh, man, I can't I'm, I'm believe that's with... how you think that's pronounced.
1: <laughs> how do you say it, Dan? <laughs> You're going to ask
2: the dyslexic kid to read something in a uh, different language. Come on, man.
1: <laughs> but uh, it was really cool. The uh, focusing on those three, those three knives. Cause he showed what the knives were used for and also gave some like recipes and stuff that kind of highlighted the cuts and stuff that each one of those uh, knives were best for. So like some fish dishes, how it has like specific cuts that the that Deba is best at and different things like that. So it was pretty pretty neat.
2: That's that's got a lot of value because some of those Japanese knives get really specialized. Mm-hmm. So being able to put a, a name with a use has got uh I mean, that in and of itself has got some value. Yeah.
1: And then I wanted to give a shout out to MailChimp. I've been working with my uh email list a little bit more and mailchimp has been really easy with um uh, bringing in a bunch of the the people and emailing out um with social media and stuff the way it is having something that you can control having customers email addresses and stuff all in one place uh so you can send out when stuff is happening if something were to happen with your social media page i think that's really good for all of us to try to work work with and uh up on,
2: yeah. Um, I got a pretty thorough talking to when uh, I had uh, I had somebody helping me with some of my, my business stuff, and they asked about my email list, and I said, What? Um, and that's when they realized I wasn't a business person.
1: <laughs> well, you made it, you made it farther than I thought you would make it.
2: <laughs> no, I had cleaned up the shop and put on a, a new shirt. <laughs>
1: Nice. And then, uh, kind of going back to some of the laser stuff, uh, when I was using Frank Grissom's laser, uh, you have to like focus it in and, uh, his laser doesn't have any like laser pointers or different things to kind of help focus it. So you kind of have to like, uh, put your knife down, use a ruler measure to the, the bottom of the, to the bottom of the lens for focusing. And, uh, that was always kind of a little bit of a, pain to try to make sure it gets focused and then using a test piece of material so that you get the focus, right? Cause if it's too shallow or too deep, it doesn't, it's not nice and crisp. So uh, Niels Vandenberg of black dragon forge showed a uh, it's kind of like that little ball chain that uh, you use on like a ceiling fan for the, the different poles. Um, but you can, once you get that set, you can kind of like tape uh, that, chain over top uh, so then you can move it up and down so it has that distance on it and then that gets you really close for your focal distance and then once you're ready to laser engrave uh, since that chain is all wiggly and nice and uh, flexible you can uh, put it up on top uh, or have like uh, a magnet or a hook uh, to hook it out of the way Um, was really really good idea Uh, thanks Niels for showing some things that are better for uh, making our lives easier. And then we had a, had a person email us uh, Ari from the knife enthusiast website. Um, He uh, is doing a bunch of articles and they're even doing some knife selling on his page. Um, It looked really cool. Uh, I was checking it out a little bit, uh, the different articles and things. So, Definitely check that out if uh, you are uh, looking for more uh, kitchen and all sorts of knife articles. Uh, Ari's doing a good job over there making some things that were pretty interesting. Uh, Let me go real quick. Knife Enthusiast. Uh, So, yeah, it's knifeenthusiast.com and uh he's got different categories buy sell um and stuff and they've got some auctions uh for different knives and then they've got some different folding knives and stuff um got some articles a comprehensive guide to collecting knives uh making money with knives a comprehensive guide to buying selling and collecting uh discover the world of knives uh, your ultimate guide so he's got some articles up Definitely, definitely check out that website. It's pretty cool. So might be doing some more stuff with them uh, in the future. So definitely check it out.
2: It's now. Oh, wait, I spelled that wrong. You know what? I'm going to do that after the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, I don't have a lot of shout outs, although, you know what? I'm going sh- to give myself a shout out. Um, I now have my production knife uh, available. Uh, it is the echo three. It is going to be a production version of the echo five, one eighth inch S 35 VN, uh flat ground comes with either a G 10 or a micarta handle, all U S source, all U S manufacture. Um, it is the first of three patterns that'll be coming out between now and Blade Show as a, a production knife. I I'm really excited. It is. This has been a a, a three year odyssey to try and bring it to the market. Uh, you'll be able to get them on my website or Blade HQ or Knife Center. Very cool. Uh, and uh, uh, retail is going to be one ninety nine ninety five. And that comes with a JRE leather sheath.
1: Yeah, I really liked the what I think you're calling it the cross check finish. Yep, um, that one I thought looked really cool, and uh, the other one looked cool too. But I kind of yeah. like that that texture a little bit more than the uh, what do you call in the one that kind of looks like little waves?
2: Um, I'm calling it horn because it it kind of looks like that segmented horn. Okay, but uh, Probably more accurate description is a fluted.
1: Uh, okay. Both look really good. I, I think it's really cool.
2: So. I, I like the way the fluted feels in the hand. And it has been amazing. It has been almost dead 50-50 on which people prefer. So I'm going to do it in both.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to Dan to make a decision. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, not deciding is a, is a decision.
1: Give the people what they want. <laughs> that just means you get to have so many more skews.
2: Yeah. I didn't think that through,
1: <laughs> but I do uh, like the orange. It goes well with uh, some of your, your branding stuff, I think.
2: Uh, and I, I like the, the hive is um, we'll also, this first run has uh black G 10 natural micarta black micarta, uh, this funky black and brown layered micarta that uh it's almost like a shadow effect. It's very cool. Um and then the the orange.
1: Nice.
2: And we'll have other colors following on, blue, green, etc. Yeah. And we are going to offer aftermarket liners as well. So the knife the knife comes just as it is. But for those of you with a, a little bigger hand or like a little blockier handle, you can buy different color scales, different material scales, and they'll bolt on and it gives you a, a little thicker handle. And, nice. Because when I originally did that pattern, it was a really blocky handle and the big guys with big hands liked it. But it never, the handle didn't feel right to me. And when I slimmed it down and gave it a little more contour, it's what what really worked for me, but I started getting feedback of "Come on, man, you're the you're the only guy that made a knife in that size with a handle that fit." So, our uh, yet again, Dan choosing not to choose. We're now giving you uh, an, an aftermarket option to be able to thicken the handle, or you can shim it one side or the other, depending on your grip and that sort of thing.
1: Ooh, asymmetrical handles. David Burke's gonna love that. Yeah. <laughs> He's our asymmetrical handle man.
2: <clears throat> Cool. I, I definitely did not steal the idea from him.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, my OCD flares up. Other than that, it was probably perfectly fine.
2: Drove Beth nuts when we built the house in Georgia. Yeah, you know, she's,
1: well, let's add something
2: over here. Well, okay, but if we do that, we have to add something over here. She's like, no, we don't. Like, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> And it wound up being a like classic Jeffersonian square, even number and size windows on either side. The glass above the, the front door was same proportion and size directly above it. Small, perfectly symmetrical front porch with columns. Like, I I should have known then that I was on the spectrum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Any other right. shout outs?
2: Um, I think we've, I think we've wasted people's time and almost enough. Uh, right. Let me do a, a rambling intro and then let's get into the meat and potatoes. All right. Uh, enough of all that. So let's get to the real reason y'all have tuned in and that's to listen to me and Kyle talk to a knowledgeable guest. And tonight's knowledgeable guest is the other Joe. Um, similar to Joe Flowers but not quite so manic and a little more technical. Full disclosure, uh, I've been working with Joe for a couple of years now. He does. Big surprise, this show is going to be on CNC work and working with the uh, machinists and CNC guys. He has done a lot of handle work with me, helped me with some prototyping. So I'm just going to go ahead and say I clearly have some bias, but I would also argue I also know how good Joe Snarsky is. How are you doing tonight, Jeff?
0: Doing great tonight, thank
2: you. And you are, it's LFM, LMF? LMF. LMF. Uh, dyslexia, I'm going uh, to... That's all right. Uh,
0: it's a tough one. Yeah, it is. Because it's not my initials.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I, this isn't even on the questions, but what does it stand
0: for? Is this adult safe? Um, it stands for lucky guy. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I've considered sure. myself lucky most of my yeah. life. Lucky so, mother's
1: friend. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs>
2: yeah. That, that was early show approved, but it has recently been brought to our attention that some people listen to this with their kids in the car. All right. So we're we're trying to be a little more professional. It, no one's more surprised than me that we have listeners, but we do. And uh, apparently, we, we now have a little bit of an obligation to to be grown ups.
0: Well, okay. good.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we uh, we've also realized nobody nobody says they don't listen to a podcast because they don't cuss. Lots more people say, "I don't listen to that podcast because they cuss too much." So,
2: uh, Kyle realized that. I think that's do kaboom. <laughs> I think that there are some salty, rusty old mother's friends out there oh, yeah. that are a little disappointed in me for going all soft and domesticated. But you know it is a favor to Kyle because he's been there for me. Apparently all the obscenities make his editing a little more difficult. So I, I I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. I, I'm going to be a family man now that my kids have left the house. <laughs> We're
0: back being an unfamily man.
2: You know, um, when we dropped my youngest off at school, his freshman year, it was a Saturday. And Sunday morning, I came into the kitchen unclothed, and my wife looked at me like, what are you doing? She said, oh, no more kids in the house. I know what you're doing. That's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Must be cold in here. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. all the time,
0: AC cranked up. Uh,
1: so, one of the questions we always like to start with, Joe, is where did you grow
0: up? I grew up in New Fairfield, Connecticut. A yeah, great Yankeeville. Uh-huh. Mark um, Twain even knew you were Yankees. Yep, yep. Little town, uh, about forty-five minutes outside of New York City. Just nice, great. Grew up from when I was three years old to graduate high school. Nice. And then you got the calling to come to God's country. Well, then I was going to go to college. uh, First in my family. And uh, it was, I, I decided on engineering, but I wasn't sure which engineering. And so I looked at UConn, which is a nice state school up near Hartford. And which is a little farther north, if you don't know. And then I was looking at Virginia Tech. I don't know how it came to be because they didn't have a football team worth a darn at the time, so never even heard of them. Sundresses. And I uh, went down to visit the campus and was like, this is the place for me. So yeah. It's only about 10 hours, you know. Didn't have to worry about parents dropping in unexpectedly. Beautiful women wearing sundresses. Yes, yes. Eight months out of the year. Yep.
2: Yeah. It's a strong motivator. Yeah. So what was the first knife that you had growing up?
0: Ooh, uh, it was a little Swiss army knife. Can't remember exactly which one. Just the red plastic cover and about 17 little things that should pop out of
2: it. I I think we're running about 50% of uh, our our guests have been Swiss army knife for their first knife.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, now for the truly important question, really the the only reason anybody tunes into this. Um, in fact, we really should do, we should do an ad plug right here because this is the only time anybody pays attention. But how did you meet your wife and where will that fall on the Dan-Kyle scale? For those of you that are new to the podcast, Kyle met his wife in some sort of wholesome Online dating service with the intention of marrying.
0: I picked my wife up at her grandmother's wake. Ah. Uh, well, it depends on who you ask me or my wife because uh, we have different memories of the first meeting. And uh, my first memory is I was, had graduated from Virginia Tech and was working about 20 miles down the road and uh, was out of school about a year and a half and hanging out at the college bars because that's what you do. Oh. Saw this pretty lady with a toe ring on and thought, that's a girl for me. Sandals and sundresses. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. wasn't even hot out. It was wintertime. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) But you were warm. Oh, yeah. The bar was warm. Her first uh, memory of meeting me was, I think, believe three years earlier, (laughs) while we were both still in school. Wow, you must have made an impression. Where two groups that we, uh, the group she hung out with and the group I hung out with had a mutual uh, gathering. Um, I played rugby, she played field hockey, and we had a uh, rugby guys playing field hockey against field hockey players. She remembered me from there. Did you play second row? No, of course not. Geez. Uh, no, I played in the back. It was a wing. Tallest, tallest wing you've ever seen. Absolutely. I mean, you're skinny, but yeah, Yeah. as tall as you are. Oh, with this wingspan, it was great. Just grab their shoulder, throw them to the side and keep on going.
2: I respect that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wing. (laughs) I'm
2: going to need a minute to process that.
0: I'll find some old archival footage for you. Oh, well. Uh, I saw. It's a ball. Yeah.
1: This is this is great audio content.
2: Yeah. <laughs> sorry, nobody can see. And by ball he meant rugby ball. I have a rugby ball on my shelf. And uh sorry, I just grabbed the picture of my college rugby team. Oh. That I can't remember if I'm in there or if I took the Oh yeah, no, that was me on the end. That was a flanker. Oh yeah. So that was skinny Dan.
0: He hadn't yeah. been around in a while. Black hair. There you go. Huh? Oh. Yeah. Been around in a while.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, no, it, it comes back about every three weeks. Lasts for about two weeks. <laughs> All right. Um, now, the the CNC work is kind of a, a side gig for you. Yes. So, so when I say how did you get in the industry, I don't I don't mean your grown up job. I mean your uh, your knife related job. <laughs> how did you get into this?
0: Well, about 10, 12 years ago. I don't know. I had hobby ADD and I was just doing all sorts of different things, metal casting and this and that. And then I saw you can make your own knife and I'm like, all right. So I'd gotten some bandsaw steel, um, from where I work and cut up a knife from it. Heat treated it with a propane little torch and some used motor oil, put some handles on it. I'm like, this is fun. So I bought some real steel, made a little coffee can forge, and had made a couple knives. And I was showing them to a friend of mine, and he who was into camping and knives, he's like, you could sell these. I'm like, wow, really? Sent me to Blade Forums. Started doing some research and figured out, yeah, you had to do marketing and this and that. <laughs> it looked like a lot of work. So I went back to my friend, and I said, no, thank you. He's like, smartest man I've ever met. Oh, it gets worse. He's like, you can make just the handles for knives because you're smart. (laughs) Okay. What knives would I make handles for? He said Becker. I'm like, okay, Becker Knife and Tool Started doing some research. Saw they had a number of different models that used the same handle. And it was a plastic injection molded. Yeah. Then I started doing some research on eBay and seeing that there was a guy selling wood handles for him and was looking at his sales history and it looked pretty good. I'm like, okay, I can, I can make a duplicating jig to make these out of macarta and sell them and be better than the, the K-bar macarta ones. Started doing that, put them up on eBay, and it was slow for the first week. <laughs> and then it was just like a sale every day, one or one to two a day. And it just snowballed from there. Started branching out to other, other uh, uh, brands like Essie and then started getting in the, into the knife-making world and talking to knife makers. And then they're like, hey, can you prep sets for me? Like, all right, this is getting serious now. And so that's when I still bought a CNC and my background in engineering helped because I could do all the CAD and modeling work and just have to learn the CNC work, which is actually very easy nowadays with all the software. Um, but I spent at least two, two and a half years basically doing these by hand with a, a homemade duplicating jig. Uh, on a router or? Yep, table router. Yep. I had, right a, in yeah, I had a two-and-a-half-inch-tall dado bit, uh, like a 20-inch-long steel bar that I would mount uh, the two templates on either side and have rollers. So they follow the rollers, and the cut piece in the middle would get trimmed to within ten-thousandths of the model. And then I just need to smooth out the faceting on a little flat wheel. Um... Yeah, huge pain in the butt. But I could do a set in 20 minutes, start to finish. So three sets an hour, not too bad.
2: Yeah, that's that's math, which I struggle with. And uh, it sounds like you were actually able to make money hourly, which clearly you weren't a knife maker.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I, I quickly figured out this was much easier than doing the whole knife. Yeah, so...
2: Um, uh, what are some things that you kind of picked up along the way? Um, I guess do's or don'ts might be a, just kind of the broad, any, um, any really knucklehead moves that, uh, <laughs> that you teach other people to avoid or, uh, moments of brilliance that, uh, that you might want to let a, a young up and comer know.
0: Well, it's surprising to learn, but there's not a lot of people posting information on Cutting Macarta and G ten on CNC routers out there, making knife handles and whatnot. So it's hard to find feeds and speeds for these things. So, oh not think about that. Yeah, so it, it it's a lot of trial and error. And I've 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 helped a couple new guys out, trying to help them along and give them advice on on small things I've learned. Because uh, most of the guys doing this are not machinists, so we don't know the machining side, which is a big part of it. Um. Man, there might be a a, a secondary market for
2: uh, Joe's little book of uh, shop tricks, uh, speed and feed. Yes, (laughs) Uh, Kyle knows a good publisher. Ah, (laughs) excellent. That could could be a little backhand business for you if you're into that sort of thing.
0: I don't have time for that sort of thing. (laughs) Too Um, many knife makers. Uh, Squirrels keep me busy.
2: Yeah, and uh, it, it's all, I need it you know, by tomorrow or the next day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whenever is fine, as long as it's yesterday.
2: <laughs> um, how have you grown your brand? And you talked about the marketing and having to interact with people as a knife maker.
0: Wasn't appealing to you, but I mean... Uh, it wasn't so much talking to people. It was just trying to sell your product. You know, trying to and and trying to have a better product than this other guy that has a similar product. I I, I don't know. So I get it, man.
2: I, I can have a conversation, but I can't talk you into buying something.
0: Yes. So I saw this as an opportunity to do something different, to support other people. And actually over the past five years I've learned that's what I really like doing is just helping other people. And that's why I've, I've kind of spun my business from uh, doing uh, well bulk work selling on eBay to doing custom work for uh, selling just custom aftermarket handles for uh, higher end knives that have bolt on scales to now just m- almost exclusively working for knife makers and doing some finished work for uh, 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 knife dealers. Um, I would assume working for you working with knife
2: makers is kind of like me working with dealers. One customer orders two hundred pieces rather than two hundred pe- customers ordering one piece. Correct, and yeah. that's
0: that's just easier math. Yeah, especially when you're doing higher end custom stuff, you want to communicate more with the customer on exactly the wood, which piece of wood, so that they can have something special for them, which is really nice. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah.
2: Um, that's why the really high end guys just—they send you my carta
0: G ten. <laughs> yep, <laughs> cheapest source possible.
2: Um, you, you can—I uh, assume guys like Nick wouldn't mind you mentioning names, but like you—you you work with some guys that do 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 do. Yes, I said it. I said do do on air. Um, but they do do. Um, <laughs>
0: Need a bleep button.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: like his battleship wood or his stadium wood. I mean, that's, that's fairly rare. You've got to get just the right
0: piece, just the right way in the jig. Uh, yeah, most of what, uh, most of what I get is, is decent wood. Okay. So there's some of it. Yeah. You got to call away, but most of it's not bad. And, uh, most people at this, at that level have it stabilized. So you don't have to worry too much about it. Uh, uh, Deforming or chipping too bad.
2: All right. Okay. I need to step up my game, get some wood, making a note. I hear
0: you. No, no. <laughs> Stick with Makarta. Just <laughs> Makarta. All, all Makarta is great.
2: Engineered, flat, square, yeah. consistent density throughout.
0: I, Not I, crazy I abrasive. Yeah. Not filled <laughs> with glass. Yep.
2: <laughs> the hardest wood I ever worked with as a woodworker was Magnolia because its density is anywhere from oak to poplar, all in the same board. (laughs) So, like, you'd be feeding it in, and then it would run away from you, and you'd be looking the blade in the eye going, whoa. whoa." (laughs) Um, So, kind of how how you grew and how you you marketed your brand was – you saw an aspect of the market that wasn't being serviced. Um,
0: Yeah. I saw need where guys were looking knife makers uh, were looking for some help to help speed things up. So a lot of it started out with uh, uh, kind of roughing sets so that they could finish finish sanding them and, you know, did that final shape so that it would still be a full custom with just a little bit of help. Near full custom. <laughs> uh, and some guys wanted somehow wanted a, a consistent product that would fit a Kydex kind sheet. Of yep. And so that I can offer within a few thousandths of each one. So it clicks in just right each time. That would be a huge help. And I know for me, you hit a
2: volume point where the cost of the scales is outweighed by the amount of time it takes for me to make them one at a time. Oh, yeah that there's a, there's a number tipping point, but once you hit it, there's, there's no question being able to have 50 scales matched up, ready to go. It just, your production goes from seven nines a week to 70 knives a week. Yeah. Um, so just kind of walk us through what's the process from you. Um some knife maker has, has finally just been so annoying that you're going to do business with him because he won't go away. Um, what From phone call to, to work, Like how does, how does it work, I guess, would be the question. What's the process?
0: First, I'm looking forward making sure he's going to have enough volume because there's a number of guys that just want 20 or 25 sets, and all the time involved is just not worth it. It's going to, be, it's going to price them out, Perfect. kind of like you said. Because for you, it's might. not just
2: machine time, it's setup time. It's
0: oh, there's the, all, the, the all these hidden costs. Yeah. Is uh, recreating the outline if you don't already own the DXF of of the blade um, and the 3D model. So you got to get a, a, a handle shaped by the, the knife maker because you want it to be his design. And then you have to recreate that in a 3D Setting and that software, I use Fusion 360, and that's a $600 a year software. So you got to justify that. Yeah. Um,
2: and you got to justify your,
0: your time. Oh, yeah. As a draftsman. Yeah. Because my time could be spent doing other things, making money. Yeah. So I have, yeah, I try to have a certain price point where I expect to make so much an hour with my time. What's,
2: what's kind of your minimum numbers at this point? 100 units, 150 units.
0: Uh, It varies on how busy I am. (laughs) depends on, it's the first of the month. And And, and how, yeah, how late in the night it it is when (laughs) when I'm deciding these things. That is Uh, one of the most honest answers I've ever
2: heard. Um, And I imagine, too, it depends on how interesting the project is.
0: Uh, Correct. And the knife maker. And and who he is or uh, the future uh, potential of, of the person. Yeah. Um, I take all that into effect. This is only a side job for me. There's other uh, scale makers that do this full-time. I'm sure they have other parameters. But yeah. These are mine. Cause I, so I also have the fun factor that I put in there, too.
2: Uh, I 100% get that. Uh, there's some custom orders that uh... – if it's really interesting, my books might be a little bit open. Yeah. So I, I get that.
0: Normally, but, normally I'm looking for at least 50 cents.
2: Yeah,
1: that's, that's
2: actually not bad at
0: all. Yeah, like I try to, be extra, try to be reasonable. <laughs> um, well, right. often 100 turns into 50. You know? <laughs> Sometimes everything doesn't sell as well as you think. <laughs> and,
2: um. oh, that, that, <laughs> that hit kind of close to <laughs> honest. Not um, your not your stuff of course, but um all right so maker contacts you it's an interesting project his numbers are right um, he it's, provides you a set of scales and then you work yeah, for that a
0: set of scales in a blank so i have something to measure off of or, or or test against an actual physical thing and then um i try to yeah i'll replicate the model in 3d and then actually a cut a sample and for some reason the sample is always different in in hand than the 3d model looks in, in in the eye so then there's some tweaking and then once i think i have it pretty close i'll send that sample off a of proof to the knife maker to make sure it's to to his specs close enough or on point point. and then there's a the little bit of back and forth there so he's uh gets exactly the product he's looking for he feels empowered by being able to make some changes. That... Oh, yeah, you got you to gotta bolster their ego. Yeah, make sure they get it. Not try to talk them into what I want,
2: yeah.
0: even though I'm usually right.
2: And eventually they'll learn <laughs>
0: that it just saves time to do it Joe's way. <laughs> um. uh, but then there's also, yeah, and there's also determining what the fastening system is going to be, the kind of finish the knife maker wants too. Does he just kind of want it roughed out? So he could do the finish, sand it to the knife smoothly. Does he want a finished product that's basically bolt-on, ready to go, um, more of a mid-textile knife? One of the things that I have uh, appreciated working with you is
2: I can just say threaded fastener. Um, and either through experience or time that I'm gladly paying for, you'll run down – Size fastener, thread pitch, material (laughs) type, finish, what's going to fit flush. So rather than me spending hours with the McMaster car.
0: McMaster McMaster car. There
2: we go. McMaster car. Love it. um, Ordering, fiddling with it. It's not right. Ordering 10 more because you can't order just one fiddling. um, Having you handle the the fiddly bits is a, a value added.
0: Yeah, uh, it can get annoying as if the knife maker doesn't know exa- anything what he's looking for. But if he has an idea or at least is open to ideas um, or at least having a price point saying, you know, I'm trying to keep the fasteners under this. And there's some more generic ones that a number of makers use uh, up to custom uh, chain ring bolts that you can have custom made. Whatever you're looking for, it's nice, it's nice if you have that in mind up front.
2: Right. This is probably why I struggle as a businessman <clears throat> when I'm talking to you and you're like, well, oh, we can use this other fastener, but it's going to be twice as much. Twice as much? How much? Yeah, it's going to be 10 cents. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Well, if, if 10 cents is twice as much, I think we can do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do have my favorites. I lead people to... Um, Uh, Like the old steadfast is a quarter inch threaded spacer where then you could do a flat uh, countersunk bolt or a button head bolt or uh, a number of other options. And they're all in different materials. You could get them in in titanium, brass, aluminum, anything you want stainless uh, to to accentuate the knife handle, to add other options to it. So I try to stick with, with ones that are more accessible. So you you need a a model, a yep. 3 dimensional model to work off of
2: and some input what's the finish going to be? Um, is it going to be textured? Um, fastener types within some reason you don't necessarily need part number 53332 but yeah, you do not Correct. Go, yeah. You know, but just head, for setting up yeah.
0: screw fastener at least an idea upfront um I mean, the exact details, those parts are easy to change in the model at the last second to, to adjust the hole diameter and depths. That's easy to do. The 3D model is the harder part to get, to get exact for the knife maker. Once it is, though, that's easy to change as well, to make it a little taller, a little less rounded. Once it's down, it's easy to modify, but it's just that initial upfront. And, and that could just be because I, I I don't do this full time. I've never done three D modeling full time. I've always worked with AutoCAD, so doing outlines and whatnot is is not hard. Okay. Um. I yeah. Because you,
2: I mean, you work in kind of three view drawing, so it's the three. Well, I'm showing three my age, view. Three view. I'm showing my age. Yeah. Front. <laughs> Back. side. Yeah. Third, third
1: angle projection?
2: Yeah. It, it look. So. I still have a parallel bar. (laughs) I I just meant in uh, a lot of the CAD programs, you're doing two-dimensional drawings that'll go into three dimensions. You don't actually have to build the model. Or do you? It's your day job.
0: Oh, my day job? No. I'm I'm not that kind of engineer. Okay. Um, I'm just a mining engineer. I, I... do you do I explosives? I used to. I used to be cool and actually work out in the quarry. So I'd tell the big trucks where to go. I'd tell the big excavators where to dig. I'd tell the blast guy, the drill guy, where to drill the holes, the, the blast guys to, to blast the holes. And yeah. Oh, yeah. It was always uh, fun and exciting. Uh, yeah, I used to be cool. I know. Yeah. I have to remind my wife of that often. <laughs> Kid still doesn't believe me that I used to be cool. But. Yeah, they never will. I know. I know.
1: Um. <laughs> um. So when you're when you're creating the model, you said that people usually give you like a physical sample. Do you use any scanners or anything?
0: No. Or... Um, in the past, I've tried, and it was not easy because I cannot pull the scanned image uh, into the software properly. But I have. I'm using different software now, so I may actually try that again because that could speed things up. I don't know if that's easy to modify, though. I'm not sure uh, 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 with the different – I'm not sure how it imports it, a scan model, because right now I'm working with a mesh, and I can easily manipulate the mesh and keep everything uh, uh, tangential to keep it smooth and flowing.
2: Um, if, uh, if a maker has drawings, like what um, –
0: uh, what format would they need? Like if somebody oh just a use... standard DXF format. Okay. It's just a universal general right, format. So no, no, or if he's got a 3D model, an STL, a sterile lithograph, um, is perfect. Right. And most all programs export to those. Yeah, uh, okay. it's just the universal between them all. Okay, but not a rolled up piece of paper. Uh, that that works too for. <laughs> For glue and handle sets on, yeah.
2: yeah that some, some that's scribbles. fine if you're an old redneck that lives in Greenville, South Carolina. But.
0: No, no. In the software, I can import that uh, picture of that drawing and follow the outline. I, that's actually how I, I still do it if the customer doesn't have a DXF file of the outline. That is actually how I do it. I will, I will take a, a, a mechanical pencil uh, lay the scale or the, the knife handle or the knife on a piece of paper and do the outline with a mechanical pencil, the 0.5 mil, and then take a picture of it with a ruler. <laughs> and I can import that into CAD, scale it to get it pretty close, uh, do my outline holes, and then do a couple measurements and check it against the real thing with some calipers and rescale it a little bit. And then I can print it as a PDF in a one on one scale. And put the knife or handle on top of it and check the outline and make small adjustments before ever actually cutting a piece to test it. So with that system, I've got it where basically I need to make one adjustment after doing a cut test. That's a lot of steps. It's pretty quick, though, and I'm pretty fast with it nowadays.
1: Yeah, going back and forth with the printer is a lot quicker than cutting chips.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot less material, and uh, I can do it on my lunch break, too. Yeah.
1: I've done a handful of oh. uh, creating people's stuff in CAD. They'll uh, take a picture and then give me the overall dimension, and then can scan it or pull it into Fusion 360, and that all goes pretty quick.
0: Yeah. I've done it for a few guys, a couple knife makers, that they wanted to be get uh, some water jet parts. So I'm like, yeah, send me an outline on, a, on a either grid paper or some kind of scale, and I can knock out an outline for you in, in, in a few minutes. And uh,
2: a little trick that I've learned for doing, like when I need to do a, a handle model for Joe, what I'll do is take one of my finished blade blanks, and I'll use contact cement, and I'll glue it up just like I would do a normal glue up. You know, I do the front of my handle, finish it, uh glue it up just using contact cement and then just dry pins so I'll put pins in with no adhesive shape the handle and then I can knock those dry pins out and pry the the each scale off of the yep. um the blade blank and that's how I get that's how I go from hand making my scales as a model for Joe and that lets me go through all the steps that I normally would to make that knife. Um, and I tend to be more consistent that way because it's the way I've done it over and over. Um, so just a, a little lesson from your old uncle, Dan, that's a, an easy way to make a set of scales that you can pop off the blank to, to give to somebody as a, a model. Um, so a maker needs cash um they gotta be able to pay you. Yep. They need a model, um specs on fasteners, materials are there's materials that you do don't work with, upcharge, downcharge.
0: Oh yeah. No, yeah. So uh that's one of the early conversations. What do you want what are you gonna want want made out of? Uh wood, Makarta, G ten, carbon fiber, Kevlar, and then, you know, that's like the biggest red flag right there. It's like Okay, and um, because even from wood to Makarta. Makarta you could buy in sheets, and then you can nest them together to easily cut out eight, uh, ten at a time, where wood you may have to do three because you're going to have to cut and flatten um, and do individual ones, which take up more space on the router itself.
2: Well, the, the macarta tends
0: to be more or less square, straight, and true. Where wood? No, not really. Oh, really? No. Um, like recent McCart I've done for you, I've actually had to cut it. I did. I did some prep cuts, but then I would have to cut them apart into individual scales, flatten them to make sure that the bottom was just, was close to flat as possible. So when cutting the counter bores, they were a consistent depth um, because there is waves. Uh, more so in the macarta than g10 huh
2: yeah um off there um do i need to mention something to the supplier or is it just that way sometimes
0: uh depends was this on the, a bad batch or depends on the macarta okay some of the some of the nat brown like must have been edge pieces cuz it was like a, a low dip um actually the black ones are about 10,000 thinner per side you will have a hard time telling, but because I had to lower it down to get away from the top, if you look at the black ones, you see there's a top layer, and it's extra dark, and that's because it is that top, top layer. Gotcha. Um, yeah. No, a lot of the is like that. Uh, some of the better ones are, are flatter. You even see it with the G10, too. The cheaper G10 has more waves in it. Yeah, there's a reason. These, the cheaper. Ultrex, yeah, the Ul- Ultrex, usually pretty flat and smooth. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Kyle. Um, <laughs> not to throw you out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. I mean, if there, it,
2: it, it takes time. Yeah, if there's an issue, if there was an issue on the supply side, I'd, I'd no. run it down. But okay. yeah, okay, not yet. All right. So um, when you're working big sheets of Micarta or G10, they can have as as many issues as working with a board. Like as far as having to keep.
0: Yeah, but it, it's it's a little less though, because usually with the wood, it come it'll come in blocks. And so I'll have to I'll have to slab it and then flatten those. Um, so it's it's still the same amount of work. It's still the same amount of flattening work, but it's more work with wood. Okay, it takes more time with wood, and time is money.
2: Yeah, because um, yeah, when I was doing when I was doing woodworking, when you got a board, you had to make one side flat. Yeah, and then you had to cut the next side square and flat compared to that one and then you could square the rest of the board up and then you could start working with it um,
0: so i only need the bottoms flat okay so basically yeah you'll cut the block and then you have a matchbook set and yep. uh or book matched, and uh okay. but as long so as then you flatten you those can... two and you're good to go
2: oh and those are basically the downside and then the the mill or the the router takes care of everything else. Yeah. All right. So like I, I refuse to work with bone horn or antler because my shop will smell like burnt hair for three days and they just can't pay me enough to do that. Well, two people have, but (laughs) (laughs) um, are there any just flat no-go
0: materials for you? Uh. Often carbon fiber is, it's just so abrasive, wears out bits, wears out blades, bandsaw blades, trying to cut it down. Um, I don't mind roughing it out, but it's like doing outlines and holes, but you're doing 3D shape, doing the whole thing together. It's just, it's, it's a lot more work. Mm. Um, That, of course, Kevlar. Uh, Bone's not so bad. The hardest part is just fitting it to the blade. Each one is custom. So just takes some <clears throat> takes so much longer. I actually it, the router doesn't matter. I just slow it down a bit, uh, like I would for G ten, basically slowing it down to that kind of speed. Sorry, uh, obnoxiously loud. Being
2: uh, Beth is traveling. She just let me know she's in for the night. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. I won't be able to edit that out.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, you know it's a rough rough life having a. a a loving wife that communicates with me. And I'm now letting her know that I'm on the podcast and uh, I can't have a mushy sweet conversation with her because all the guys will make fun of me. <laughs> okay, back to the show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh,
2: man. <laughs> um, all right. Um, comments.
1: So, oh, go ahead, Kyle. Uh, you were- what kind of. CNC router did you get, Joe? Oh, yeah.
2: All right.
0: When I first started... Yo, you two talk engineer for a minute. I'm going to
2: text Beth real quick.
0: When, <laughs> <laughs> when I first started looking at CNC's, uh, one of my plans was to start doing aluminum uh, folder handles, uh, basically following uh, the Grimsmo brothers. And, and that's kind of the path they, that they had taken. So I'm like, all right, I need a, a heavier-duty router uh, that can do aluminum and brass and things like that. And so I went with a, a slightly higher-end uh, ShopBot. It's their desktop model, which is a 24-inch uh, wide, 18-inch long bed. Uh, and I got the spindle option for it, so it could go up to 20,000 RPM. Uh, an extremely nice model. Uh, I've had it for at least eight years now. Um. With the only hiccup being is the power supply, which is not their fault. Uh it's actually the nicer power supplies you could buy. But uh no. I, I love it. I highly recommend it. I one knife maker I work with was looking for one and he bought the same one and he's been happy with it. Uh a giant shaped Wookie. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh uh I know another uh, a number of other guys using uh, Lagunas and uh, a lot of guys have gone straight to the a mill, which is basically a heavier duty than a router. Uh, and I have a Tormach, so a, n- a number of other people use those as well for knife handles. Which, if I was smart, for about the same price, I could have gotten a lower end Tormach. Okay. But. I looked hard
2: at a shop bot and then realized that it was a lot less effort to just get you to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys go that way. They, they start looking into them or start working with me some, and then start asking about them. And I I tell them the truth behind it of what you need to know and how you need to do it. And if you can't do the 3d modeling, you're going to to pay somebody for that. And then that's going to be a lot more than what I charge. Uh,
2: Yeah. I sometimes feel a little guilty about what you charge for the, on, on the draft
0: side, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. Do I don't know why I'm so good to you, but
2: I don't do anything about it. I mean, I, I feel it, but I don't do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't get a Christmas present this year. Oh, yes, just, you, you know, did. Get, <laughs> make sure,
1: make sure you grab one of those bottles on your way out. <laughs> but so, if somebody was looking to start doing. Uh, some handle stuff for themselves, or
0: um, would, be good. You yeah, can, would you
1: Would you recommend them go on the router route, or is there any brands that?
0: Uh, yeah, because you, you can, can go with on? a lot less expensive router if you wanted to start, kind of test the waters. And the main difference is, uh, less expensive one may be less rigid. And if you're, it's going to be less rigid. Uh, it's going to flex more, so you just got to cut slower. You just got to compensate that into the program, which. Is all stuff I've learned in the past eight years, right, which I don't really know beforehand.
2: Uh, anything, any models or features to look out for? Uh, hmm. For, and, and we can even preface it from a beginner. Cause like there's, there's some knife making equipment that I'll tell people up front, look, man, it'll be 10 years before you, you'll be good yeah. enough to justify this equipment or th- this this one has notoriously bad tracking or
0: no, I don't know the, I don't know the individual router as well, but as far as features for them, uh, a lot of them, a lot of them are similar. If they're not a higher end brand, they, they use the generic software, uh, like uh, gerbil um, or candle as kind of the, the running software which is not the most user-friendly a ShopOt has its own software. So it makes it a little easier to run the router, upload files to it. Right. Uh, it also came with a CAD cam software, which was nice called V uh, by Vectric. And uh, that is a very simple CAD cam program. So it has CAD capabilities. So once you have the model in a, uh, in VCarve, you can change things very quickly, like you want to change the counterboard diameter. Highlight it, change the diameter, and you're done. Uh, you can also do, do a lot of creative, uh, create a whole complete CAD file in there. And then the CAM software is very easy to use with uh, vcarb too. Basically highlighting that hole, telling you where you want to start cutting it, what bit you're going to use, the speed and the depth. So, the the ShopBot was kind of built with the concept of these aren't machinists. These are hobbyists that are... Higher-end hobbyists, yeah. 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 All right. So, so, yeah, there's a number of brands out there that are like that. They're like higher-end hobby machines that are meant to run, not full-time, but a lot more than hobby. Than a generic 3018 machine.
2: may have either a weak motor or it's
0: sloppy or it's not
2: rigid. Yeah. Correct. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, what are, uh, so if you had to do it all over again, uh, would you still gone with a router or would you, you wish you would have gotten the mill first
2: Today. If you're yeah. doing it today,
0: okay. today. Yeah. Uh, I would have gone with a the mill. The, probably the Tormach mill or nowadays there's a couple other ones out there that look pretty nice. But for about the same price you could get the base model mill have a smaller working area but have the the future capabilities. And the and and even the resale if you if you wanted to get out of it. You could resell a Tormach mill much easier for a lot more money than you can a used router. Um what kind of work area you you want as far as minimums course. ah uh like my tour has a seven inch by 14 inch work area which for what i do most things i only work in a six by 12 area a 12 wide six six deep right. uh it's just easier for i can fit usually four to five handles in that area and it just makes it easier to manage um if i'm doing i've done some high higher volume stuff two to 300 sets and I'll do a whole square foot where I could do six or eight at a time mm. um, and have longer run times. But.
2: And is it the, the maker's fantasy of once you hit run,
0: you just walk away or is, is it you're still there? I'm usually in the background doing something else. So I have a detached garage, so I'm lucky it's not in my garage garage. Um, but usually I'm in a little separate room doing work and still having an ear in the background in case anything goes wrong. But lots of times in the evening, uh, I have an hour, hour and a half long run program. I'll hit run and go sit by the fireside and then just have my uh, uh, an alarm set on my phone so that when it's up, get up, go back there, swap it out, hit go again, walk away. God, you are way smarter than knife makers. Yeah, I got lucky.
2: Man, my hat's off to you. No, you, you figured that one out early.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I get lucky every once in a while. <laughs> that's why that's actually my wife's pet nickname. and That's that's where the company name came from. Yeah, that seems to be a theme. <laughs> hey, you, sometimes you got to find your own luck.
2: Yeah, sometimes you just got to make it. Yep. As a crusty old sergeant once told me, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Yep. If you get caught cheating, you aren't trying hard enough. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, what are some common mistakes, both um, like makers coming to you? What are some of the. Uh, uh,
0: hmm. One thing I find that's very hard to do, and I try to, and, and I usually it's easy to talk any maker out of, is the actual handle material meeting the tang. Uh, it's, it's so much better if there's a tiny flat area in the handle material to extend out the tang before starting the curve. Because trying to keep the tolerances of, of having a, a continuous curve right into the tang is um, very hard. And, and
2: is that all the way around, or is that
0: just at the front? At the top. And say so the bottom, the belly. Okay. At the spine yeah. and the belly. Yeah. Um, Where you're trying to have a nice uh, continuous uh, curve from the shape of the handle up to the steel tang and then back down. And uh, well, it so helps if it's you have some flats on the handle itself. Well, and especially if
2: you're, if you're working from water jetted blanks that they're going to have to true up after they put the handle on. Correct. You definitely need a little sacrificial material, I assume.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I should preface it. In that case, uh, it's not bad to have it. If it's not exact, then, because the handle, uh, the knife maker, is going to smooth the tang out, the water jet marks, and can also smooth the handle to it. So it'll be uh, uh, perfect with no gaps. Um, but for a finished handle, you really need to have a little flat spot.
2: And by finished, uh the method that I finally settled on is I have my blanks trued up on a mill mm. before they're heat-treated ground so that I have really precise dimensions all the way across where the water jets yes. are a little sloppy. So in that case, I've saved time because I don't have to clean it up, but you, you've got to have a couple of thousandths of a flat spot in your handle.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Use 20, 20 thousandths. It's always nice.
2: Yeah, I have no idea what it is. Joe just tells me
0: you need this little flat spot. And yep. I've learned to listen to Joe. Was- I usually don't even mention it. I just put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the pitfalls. Um, oh,
2: man, I, I, I've been getting managed this whole time, and I didn't even know it. That's probably that smart thing,
0: or, you know.
1: Uh, what Beth, are some- Beth probably does the same thing, Dan.
2: Oh, man, she... Uh- <laughs>
1: Man, she used to go
2: to like, she'd go to the corporate training and she'd bring the the literature back and she'd give it to me and I'd read and she'd be teaching me all these leadership techniques. And then one day I'm like, wait, you're managing, you move the cheese. (laughs) She's like, all right, that's it. And I have not gotten any more leadership books, nothing since then. Yeah. I should have just been smart, kept my mouth shut. I'd at least know what was going on, but I, I had to show off. Yeah, man. Um, speaking of common mistakes, <laughs> um, the, on the maker side, um, if somebody is doing CNC work or they want to start doing CNC work for makers, what are some common mistakes that they do other than dealing with makers?
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Kind of like I like I said, it's it's usually not knowing the machining side. I don't think it's so much or not using the right materials. Um, not using stabilized wood, you see that often. Or then later on, it's because it's, the non-stabilized wood, if you don't have proper bit set up or the correct feed speed, you can start ripping out pieces. If you go to the cross grain, and yeah, it, yeah, where it grabs. Because actually in machining, you can you can have a conventional cut where it's kind of scooping material out or a climb where the cutting edge is coming down into the material. So with the softer wood, that's usually easier because then you're actually compressing the material and not wanting to kind of grab it and pull it out. Yeah. So knowing those little things on the CNC side uh, really help. That makes a lot of sense. Um, that and... Little things with release or order of operation. Um, usually the biggest is speed and speeds. Guys are going too fast or too slow. And if you're going too slow while cutting, you're actually just, you're not taking a nice cut. You're actually, it'll cut with one tooth and then the next tooth will abrade and just rub against it, actually wearing it down, dulling your bit faster. All uh-huh. right. And then it comes around again and does it again and again and again. And then you're, you're, it causes more bit deflection as well. So when it's rubbing, it starts pushing the bit out and you get a, a a not very smooth edge finish. Huh.
2: I, I wouldn't have thought that, but it, it makes sense. I would have thought, you know, like in woodworking, the slower the feed, the cleaner a cut you get.
0: But, um, yeah. But any all the stabilized woods are they're a lot more abrasive due to the stabilizing compounds. Well and they that are in there.
2: Also small bit, high speed yeah. work. I mean there's there's a lot going on that, that I'm not used to. I'm like, not
0: used to having to think at that level. Most of the bits uh, are that I use are eighth inch for smaller work. They're max is quarter inch diameter bits and mills.
2: Um, are there any tight contours or radiuses or anything that, that tend to be problem-causing for uh, for machine
0: work? No, not if you have the right setup. Right. You could do some pretty crazy shapes. Um, and then it's just uh, uh, the handle maker's 3D modeling skills. Mine for tight corners or sharp uh, radiuses in the handle that gets tricky in the way I do it now, but that's just my experience. Uh, and my experience level and not so much, uh, a a limitation of the machine. Mm. Um,
2: but either a maker bringing you something or a new guy getting into the business that that's going to be something to be aware of. Yeah. Mm. Um, finishes, uh, I mean, we've talked about, like, leaving some of the rough stuff and that kind of stuff so you get a, a textured grip on some of the work you've done for me. But yeah. uh, is there, other than smoother takes more time, is, there, is uh, there anything in the final finish that?
0: Well, me, I don't want to sand. So <laughs> I try to avoid smooth finishes. Are uh, me doing the smooth finish work, <laughs> which is easy enough to say no because I can just price it the knife maker out of the idea.
2: Yeah. Or Um, convince him that uh, he wants to save a few bucks by by doing the final sanding himself.
0: But I've I've been doing this long enough. I know techniques on how to take it off the mill and without actual hand sanding, smooth it out and to buff it to at least a working finish, a working sheen where it's not a high end uh, gloss finish. Yeah, which I
2: I would hope that by the time makers are working for you, they understand the pitfalls of doing a high gloss finish on a
1: (laughs) on a high volume
2: (laughs) setup. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you do so you do all your own sign work in house.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So, are there any questions that I should have asked that I didn't? Hmm. Feel free to oh, no. review back to the notes of questions
0: that I should ask. I, no, no, no.
1: So what Tormach machine did you buy? Did you get one of the 1100? Uh, no, the 770. 770?
0: Yeah. And uh, not the MX, not the one with the servos, just the regular stepper motors. Okay. And it has a power draw bar, but not the tool changer yet. Okay. But it's got the whole flood system. It's, it's a nice setup.
1: Yeah, I've been looking at those. Uh, one of the one of my friends got one of the eleven hundred MXs. I think it's got like a ten ish uh, tool changer and stuff in there. Yeah, looks really nice.
0: Yeah, that that would be nice, uh, <laughs> especially on the router. And actually, the ShopBot now has the desktop model which has a tool changer option for it. It's uh, quite a pricey upgrade, but it just has a little linear tool holder. So it knows where in that spot to go to grab the bit, which wow. would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. So that you could do the whole thing from start to finish, basically, without having to touch it. Because yeah. for some sets, most sets, it's, it's two bits. One bit to do, one, an end mill to do the holes and outlining, and, and like relief cuts and then a ball mill to do the shaping. Uh, for others, I, uh, I also do like a front and rear bevel. Um, and for finished, uh, uh supplying finished sets, I'll also do a separate outline cut. I'll leave a little bit around the outline and do a four flute outline cut, cutting the last twenty thousandths off just to, with a bigger bit to make sure it's a more exact outline. Um, What else
2: did I have? I did. um, The bigger bit, does that work kind of like, as a maker, like when I start using the really small, small wheel attachments, I start getting hesitation marks and and dwell marks. Yes. So finish cutting with a bigger bit, just that's how it smooths it out.
0: Uh, Yeah, you get a better kind of entry angle. And uh, the bit is also stiffer because even though it's a carbide bit, which is extremely hard, an eighth-inch bit, Sticking out uh, nearly an inch will flex easily a couple thousands so when pushed. Stiff bit and a good entry angle is is really what you're looking for.
2: Yes. Thanks, Dan. Uh, <laughs> um, um, are there any minimum thicknesses, like
0: um, Yeah, that's one of the things uh, I've worked with a couple guys that want real thick handles. And if you're working with McCart or G10, it's hard to find half-inch thick material, and they say it's only a three-eighths thick. But if, they're, if they have heavy stock, that's nearly point four four hundred thousand thick. A lot of Makarta's not that thick. Uh, most Makarta's is a little oversized, but there's some that's a little bit under. Yeah, the, under. It's nominal. that
2: thick at the thickest point, yeah. but. It's got a lot of
0: waves and low spots. And... Uh, G10 is usually right on, so I always suggest knife makers. If you're looking for a eighths thick handle, make it a little less. Instead of 0. .375, make it about a 0. .36. Buy yourself 15 thousandths or so. Uh, is there too thin? Uh, for my preference, yeah, because I don't like super thin handles on knives. So... <laughs>
2: And we're back to it's got to be a project. Too. <laughs> but mechanically, is there. No like, no. like, if somebody, if some folder guy wanted you to do a bunch of folding knife handles.
0: Um, like no. 60 I, do 60, I do sixty. 60,000 thick. I've done mm-hmm. for some ZT knives and some 60,000 thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, just holding it starts to become a little bit of an issue. Uh, but I've learned around there basically using double sided tape or. Single sided tape with super glue in the middle, which is actually a phenomenal setup. Huh. Using painter's tape. Yeah. Put it on the base. Spread See. out a little bit of super glue with painter's tape on the back of the, the sheet you're using. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, easy cleanup. That, is a, that right there was
2: worth the cost
0: of the whole show. Yeah. Uh
2: that's kind that of stuff.
0: Yep. Um the other, yeah, even if it's not super stable, like a thin sheet, you, you'll do two passes when you're cutting. You'll leave ten thousandths of the material at the bottom on the after the first cut. And then you're only cutting through ten thousandths, uh, like if I'm doing a liner, through ten thousandths of G10, which is not putting much pressure on the material you're cutting. So it's not trying to move it. Okay, so a little bit of tape goes a long way. Yeah,
1: yeah. I know a lot of people use that double or that single sided tape super glue trick with, uh, like, a belt uh, surface grinder or a oh, sort of yeah. grinder attachment to hold the the handle material on while they flatten it.
0: I think that's. I think that's where I where I got it from. Actually, yeah,
1: it's a good good little tip. Oh, man,
0: it's more like the whole thing. <laughs> I got others too, but hey.
2: Eh. <laughs> hey, you can't give it all away the first time. <laughs> you got to keep a little something back in reserve. Yeah. Uh if somebody if somebody had model and cash and time and specs and they wanted to get some handle sets done, are you you taking any work right now or are you uh
0: Uh right now, a l- yes, a little bit. Because I have a helper a uh eighteen year old teenage son that's looking for easy money so <laughs> at least for the next few months uh uh-huh. so may- maybe yeah some... so if you've got uh
2: if you got projects ready to go, you've got a few months to uh to get them in
0: and I know another guy or two looking for a little bit of work that that I would trust to do work for for uh respectable knife makers if there's any out there i was about to say respectable <laughs> i have mean, well
2: that, that one <laughs> i mean there's lt right and then there's uh
0: <laughs> yeah yeah there's lt right yep uh
2: <laughs> if people want to find you uh how can they find you
0: uh, that's the problem that's how i keep a low profile i don't think i posted on instagram for many many years um just because I've been working with knife makers and haven't been looking for a lot of work. So I haven't been going out there Uh, on Facebook. I have, uh, um, I I do respond to Facebook messages and Instagram messages.
2: Hmm.
0: They've just got to have a referral. Yeah. If if you know, you know, it's a fight club
1: kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Anything else I should have asked? I don't think so. Kyle, how'd I do?
2: I I hit all the points? I think so. You need to come clean up for me?
1: No, nothing I can think of. All right. You guys can keep in touch with the podcast at knifeperspective.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can find the podcast anywhere you're listening to it. You keep in touch with Dan Eastland of dogwood, custom knives at dogwood, custom knives.com. And, uh, Dogwood Custom Knives on Instagram. And you can keep in touch with me, Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives at CagedailyKnives.com and Knives on all of the social media platforms. So thank you, Joe. And
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, thank you for sharing some of that information. Say goodnight, Dan.
2: Good night, Dan.
0: Good night, Dan.
1: Well, let's take it to the edge because that's what's expected. Discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the pole. We're going to talk.